good day everyone. Today we have my sister, Bria Howard. Bria Howard is a recent 2020 graduate of American University with a degree in business administration. During her time at American, Bria took on several positions, including a teaching assistant, supplemental instructor, and being a member on the School of Business Leadership Board. Bria is now continuing her education at American University as she pursues a master's degree in accounting. In line with her passion for education, she's on track to becoming a certified public accountant in order to help small black businesses with financial organization and literacy. We um, talk about a lot of different topics. We talk about um, the packages, the A packages that Bria gave to protesters in Washington, D.C. We talk about the difference between reform to funding and abolishing the police. We talk about reparations. And we also talk about um, the advice that Bria would give to someone becoming a police officer and particularly to um, a black woman who considers um, becoming a police officer. It was an honor to interview Bria. And again, this was um, recorded back in 2020 on Tuesday, July 2nd, 2020. So um, yeah, it was a very um, great experience and uh, just listening back to it, um, I think that I could have did better in some areas of the interview, but, um, you know, I really appreciate her being on, on, on this interview. This was, um, just part one. Um, but, you know, we're still looking for justice for Brianna Taylor. Um, and be sure to, uh, reach out to Bria in the description box um, of this um, podcast, you'll be able to reach out to her on Instagram and LinkedIn. So uh, make sure that you reach out to her. All right, Um, be blessed. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Good day, everyone. We have a special guest again. We have Bria Howard. What's going on in the neighborhood? <sighs> Nothing. Just chilling, enjoying my day. Man, she said just chilling, enjoying her day. Well, <laughs> it is a pleasure to have the queen, okay, Bria Howard on here. We are so happy for her and excited for her future in the business world for, you know, like developing um, great opportunities for African-Americans and, and just, you know, contributing to the economy in a positive way. That's people-centered and not profit-centered. So we appreciate you so much. Now, we just gonna go right out the gate with this question. So <laughs> All right. I'm big on definitions. Um, I prefer the Oxford over the Merriam-Webster. I can, I can like we all want, but I'm big on definitions, but I'm also, but I'm, I'm more interested in why people use the words that they use or how they use the words that they use. So 
with that in mind, how do you define protest? That was a really hard question, in my opinion. But for me, a protest is any form of defiance or any way that someone draws attention to something that they have an opinion over. <clears throat> um, and it's usually in an organized manner. You know, people can protest a lot of different ways over a lot of different things. Even something as simple as a strike, you know, against a business that you're working with as an employee, that's a form of protest. It's basically the same thing as boycotting. You know, those are all forms of protest because they're meant to draw someone's attention to something um, in regards over something you don't agree with. So that's what I think a protest is. So what is the importance of protesting? Like why, why should somebody protest? Why is it important? Why, is the, why, why are the um, protests that are going on today in reference to uh, black exploitation and racism and injustice important? One reason why I think it's important, this specific protest that are going on right now is that people are angry and they are looking for ways to relieve their anger and seek retribution to right some wrongs that have been done. Um, and I think it's definitely important now because we've seen Black Lives Matter as like a trending topic for a really, really long time. I would say since probably before the beginning of high school for me, which was like around 2012, like that's when I really started to hear about it heavy and I started to hear about it on social media, which is a great tool. And in between, of course, in between social media, we've seen people out protesting and doing a lot of things after like significant deaths that um, have drawn a lot of attention in Black Lives Matter. But one of the biggest things is that social media is not enough and it's never gonna be enough. Um, it's a great way to educate, to draw attention, to explain things that maybe we don't have the time to do in person, but it's not drawing the attention of the oppressors. It's not drawing anyone's attention um, the way that the actual protests do, the way that actually going there, seeing masses of people, it's like going, taking social media and throwing it out into the real world. It's people showing up with their faces that is really the height of importance of protesting right now to me. And um, forcing people in power to see you and to hear you and to listen to what you have to say. I mean, even things like emailing. Emailing, I mean, someone can toss an email out, right? But when you're coming up to these um, county officials coming to their board meetings and saying, hey, listen to what we're saying. You're like, you have to listen. Like, I think that those are pushing this movement a lot further than maybe us just posting or just using hashtags. I love that answer to that question. I was, I'm interested in the part where you talked about, um, actually going to the meetings, actually going to the Capitol, uh, really using your body as an instrument, using your voice as an instrument for change and for, uh, for equality and for liberation and for social justice. Um, is there, 
a difference between protesting and rioting? Yes, depends on what the rioting is for. That's hmm. my straight answer. If you are rioting, for instance, as we've seen over the past couple of years, over um, losing games and sports and destroying cities over that, I think that that is not allowed to be included in protesting. But if you are rioting out of anger of how your community or your race has been treated by a country that's been ignoring you for 400 plus years, I would say that that's a great way to get someone's attention. Mm, mm, so I'm, I'm hearing a lot about like you're really focusing on getting somebody's attention. Um, I think that's like kind of like the key element to how you define protesting and why it's important and the difference between protesting and rioting. Um, I don't think anyone's really delve, 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 is delve a word? Delve? <laughs> I, but I don't think anyone has, huh? I don't know what word that is. Delve? Dove into? I don't know. Dove. Where did Dove even come from? Anyway, I don't think anybody has ever dove into that um, concept. So can you, can you just elaborate on, on, on that a little bit? Um, <clears throat> well, I'm a business person and I have a business thinking mind. And that means that goal-oriented. You have to have a goal in a way that you want to get to that goal. And uh, I think that getting the attention of the person that you need to kind of even assist you to get you there is the only way you're going to make that stepping stone. So I'm not saying that social media isn't important and that using social media as a tool isn't important because that's the tool that I have been using personally for the last month that this has gone on. I've been posting a lot of information just right same most of us have but who is that drawing attention to who is that helping that's helping individuals hopefully clean up their internal racism and their internal prejudice even with myself and with anyone that has it really we all have internal prejudice that's not something that you can control that's something that you that's a, basically a product of your environment that you were raised in. And that's nobody's fault, but it's our job to break those down. That's what social media is for. It's for education. It's for drawing the attention of our peers. But going out there is drawing attention to those in power. It's telling them, hey, we're all together and we don't like what you're doing. And we don't agree with it. And we want you to know that. We want you to see our faces. We want you to humanize this movement instead of it being... <sighs> Instead of it being an internet thing, I guess is kind of what I'm trying to say. Um, I I know that you didn't. I, I know that like you don't necessarily want to say that you protested. Um, and I I, I want to make this clear right now that like Bria Howard went to go hand out protest packs to protest. Okay. And I think that that's very important work. And I've never been able to talk to someone that's done so. Um, and so 
why did you decide to help out? Like, was it was it on your own accord? Was it with the organization? Um, why, like, what was like that whole process of you of you deciding to do it? It was like two things meeting up together at the perfect time. Okay. That was at the peak of I think my anger, the peak of you know frustration, is really where I was at, and I really felt helpless and. The reason why is that I'm very claustrophobic and I can get very anxious on top of my claustrophobia. And when I say that, I mean, like, I don't go to concerts. I do not like amusement parks. I just don't like being around large crowds of people. They make me very, very uncomfortable. And I knew right off the bat that I wasn't going to be able to protest unless I had, like, I don't know, unless a miracle happened to where that, like, anxiety just disappeared. So mm. I already knew this isn't for me unfortunately this isn't for me and it made me even more frustrated because i was like i'm not doing enough you know me posting and doing hashtags didn't feel like enough for me and i'm not saying that everybody feels that way or everybody should feel like they're not doing enough everybody has a place in this movement but i just felt like that was not my place like i just felt like i have like a physical body like there's just something that i could be doing more and my friend Nadia texted me one day and she just, or maybe it was a FaceTime, I don't remember. Um, but she's another black student in the business program at um, American University. So we were just talking and then she basically said, hey, like I'm like passing out these protester bags. Like she just told me all the stuff that she's been doing to collect them. And I immediately was like, please let me help you in any way that I can. Like, I really want to participate in this. Um, at first I was thinking, you know, maybe it's okay if I just help put them together. I don't actually have to show up and go out there just because I knew like it might be an issue for me. So I was just like, you know, let's just leave it at that. Maybe I'll just help put them together. And then I really had to tell myself, like, you know, that's not enough. Like, you know, that's not going to make you feel, it's not about feeling better. It's really not. But I just need something to appease, I think, my frustration and my anger. And I was like, that's not going to be enough to do that. So I had just decided in my head, all right, well, you're going to go out there and you're going to hand them out. And I really don't want to take credit for this idea. This was completely Nadia's idea. Nadia put this mostly together. I mean, um that was when we decided like hey maybe our personal money isn't enough to really make as many bags as we're thinking we should so that's when we decided to post something on you know social media see if any everybody was you know kind of handing out donations at that time so we were like okay maybe a couple of people will donate to us and i even asked my roommates i was like hey what do you guys think about you know helping out you know we're going to be handing out you know, things for the protesters. And they were like, yeah, sure. And we got a lot more donations than we were initially expecting. So then this kind of became a project. And it really started with her telling me that she was doing this. And then again, like my anger and frustration were built over and I was just like, okay, I'm down to do whatever we're going to go there and do this point. Uh, I kind of want to go into like your experience at the protest, but like before we go there, I want to I want to ask you. I know that like you are a child of a retired police officer, a black one. 
and a retired um uh uh what's it called what'd you just say a retired um de like detective yeah um i well my i, I want to ask you this question as a child of a detective and police officer that that's retired that's black how do you how how do you see or how do you feel about like the the injustices that are going on and um and like how and, and like how the police act towards citizens during protests okay so to make a long story short, I will say that I was not a part of the Black Lives Matter movement a few years ago. And I'm probably one of the very few people willing to admit that right now because everyone's kind of afraid of getting called out. But I think that that's one of the things that is important is that like other people, not necessarily changed my mind, but kind of opened up my eyes to things I wasn't really willing to believe before, you know? Even just like being a student in a black county and PG County, going to the community college, like things like that opened up my mind and kind of forced me to humanize this movement in a way that I guess I wasn't really doing before because I was in a biased situation. My dad raised me. I know a lot of his friends that are police officers. Like that is something that is second nature to me like it comes very natural um so it was difficult to even consider making that decision because I think I was kind of in denial I was always like oh well this isn't something that has you you don't have to be that involved I mm -hmm. once I what was really going on I was like okay well I was talking myself out of it you don't really have to be that involved like you can agree with it but, you know, you don't have to post it on your Facebook because then your dad might see it or somebody he knows might see it. You don't have to really, like, I guess, really be a part of this. And um, this point wasn't a turning point for me because I think at that point I had really gone through the process of educating myself. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that I've read any full books so far, but reading articles is very important to me because they do tend to come off a little bit non-biased. Um, but yeah, reading articles, educating myself. And then once I got to the point where I was like, I don't have to be on the side of my dad. I don't have to, that doesn't have to be a part of my identity if I don't want it to be. And at that point I was just like, if this is something that's important to me and I'm seeing something that I think and I believe and I feel is wrong and it's objectively wrong, it's not, opinion-based wrong it's an objectively wrong thing if i see that and i know the history of it then i can't not be here i can't just you know erase myself as part of the equation to make myself feel comfortable about my dad i really had to that's still something that i like personally am going through because that's part of my family but there are more important things going on right now than like my identity as being the daughter of a police detective. So that was a decision that I had to make myself. And I really hope that more people that are in positions like me that were raised 
kind of in a police propaganda circle take the time to unveil that about themselves and realize like this is just wrong like you can't just pretend that it's not happening because it'll make you feel better about your family like that's not the right thing to do and I know there's a lot of people that are probably in that position that are afraid to speak out because they're afraid of what their family might think you know I had a, I, I was uh, uh shout out to Prince George Community College. I was on a town hall meeting with Prince George's Community College's diverse male student initiatives program. It was like last Friday, which was last Friday was uh last Friday was um what the twenty sixth of June, and uh my homie Marcellus Kirkland, who he had went to Morehouse. He's at Morehouse right now. Um, we went to Prince George's Community College together he asked this question to some of the police officers that were on the town hall meeting. And I want to ask you this question from like a, a daughter's standpoint. What would you say to a woman who wants to become a police officer, a black woman who wants to become a police officer? Like what, what are some things that you will want her to know? about about just that world and about um you know i mean just taking into consideration the black lives matter movement how people how how police officers are 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 portrayed the stigmas and the stereotypes the myths this is a hard question but one of the first things that i think i would ask is okay is your reason for doing this mm -hmm. because a lot of police officers coin different reasons why they become police officers and one of the main ones is to keep communities safe and i really have to ask what in your mind do you envision yourself doing to keep your community safe and then the next question would be are there other things that you could do to keep your community safe other than becoming a police officer because that will show if your true passion is really to keep your community safe or to police your community. And those are not the same thing. They don't go on the same level. So if you're trying to police your community, well, that answers our question right there. Clearly you have a problem. Um, but if you're trying to make your community better, there's a lot of things that you can do. Like even in my profession, my profession is business, but it's mainly accounting. I've said, what can I do in my accounting field to be a better tool for the community because my passion isn't really owning a business. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not, that's not my passion, but I like the idea behind businesses and helping them succeed. And I said, well, what can I do? My decision was to help black businesses because you know, they need help. They need help to succeed. They need help in management, things that we weren't taught in school, things that our parents couldn't teach us. They need help in those areas. What can you do as a police officer to help your community? Really? That's the real question. Do you want to solve murders? You know, do you want to, those are the things people don't talk about the police do. Do you want to be a homicide detective? Do you want to investigate, you know, sexual assaults? What is your real key here? Do you want to be a patrol officer? What is your real key? Because people who have been in situations like that, whether they've lost someone that they care about, where they have been in a sexual assault situation, a lot of them need therapy and need 
a lot of counseling and nurturing. Why won't you, why wouldn't you want to be someone to do those things? You can't, I won't say it like this, but after a murder happens, after a sexual assault happens, you can't stop that. That is something that the person who experienced that will always feel and, you know, that's a situation that you can't take away from them. But what are you doing to make that situation better? Not much as a police officer. That's the real answer here. Not much. <laughs> so I would really, like, I, don't, I know you said black woman when you said that, but I think in that moment, I would have to take race out of it and be like, what is the real reason here? Because this might be a race thing, but it really might not be. Maybe you have a serious issue, you know, with wanting to, like, have power over someone. Mm-hmm. Or wanting to be in a position of power, or 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 like like because because black, well, even even like taking taking it into consideration the fact that like I was talking about like a black woman, like some black people in general, like particularly black men have this issue, but like black women have this issue too, where because we haven't had a lot of leadership roles historically, especially compared to white people in America, um when we get some type of, you know, power uh, symbol or some, some level of power over average citizens, we, we, we kind of tend to, uh, what's it called? Uh, use it in like a bad way or whatever. Kind of, you know, use it to kind of- Take advantage of it. Use yeah, it take advantage of it in like a negative way. Exactly. That's kind of people's, again, that's like an, an issue that you have personally like like even of course i'll get to the part about her being a black woman because that's a completely different conversation that i would have but even just like the angst to want that to need that maybe if you're even just like hey i really need a job like this is something that i could do to get a job that's a completely different category but what is your like angst to want to have that power over someone that's dangerous and a lot of times i think black people only want that because it's something that they'll never get to have unless they can fake it. A black person being a police officer thinking that they have power is faking it, in my opinion. It's really faking it because you're selling Mm. yourself out. You're selling yourself out to damage your community for what? You're not really in any position to help anyone. Not literally, but you're not in a position in a system that's actually helping people it's harming people so what are you doing <laughs> like, right right um but yeah as a black woman talking to another black woman i would just like immediately have to be like my dad was a cop that's not for you like it's, <laughs> yo why would you say it like that though because like i love my parents but like and I've said this before, I think that anyone becoming a cop is something, or a police officer, is something that dramatically changes, like, your brain. You know what people say that about people in the military? They come back with PTSD. Absolutely. Through, it shifts gears in their brain. Like, when I say shift gears, I mean, like, saying yes, sir, and yes, ma'am is something that we've been ingrained in us when we were younger, Right. 
But when people in the military do that, it's just something that they say. They just automatically say that. It's something that instinctively comes out of their mind because a gear was shift to say that's what you say to people. And what people don't realize is that although police officers go through a shorter amount of training, a way shorter amount of training, um, their gear shift too, and they typically shift on the job, in my opinion, their instinct to grab a gun because it's something that they've seen their other fellow officers do, you know, and um, that's just something that they just do. And I'm not saying that it's right. That's literally not what I'm saying. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. What I'm saying was it's something that shifts. Your brain thinks, I need to protect myself. Something is going wrong. You haven't taken the time to think through the situation that you're in because your instinct is to grab your gun. And that's a part of self-protection. That's not a part of protecting a community. If a police officer thinks that they're about to get shot or they're about to get injured, they're not worried about anyone else but themselves. That's a personal thing. That's, I'm worried that this person's going to do something to me. Imagine why people who go in, and I know that this was a graphic thing I'm about to say, but people who go in schools, shoot them up, and kill children, but come out completely unscathed. That's frustrating. And that's because the cop is not afraid of himself or herself getting injured. So they don't grab their gun instinctively because that's not their instinct in that situation. Their instinct isn't to save that person. Their instinct isn't to save students, to save kids. Their instinct is self-protection. And that's something we as humans, I think, all kind of have. But when you give a guy a gun and tell him he has to save somebody else, he's thinking, well, I'm going to try to save myself if I have to be in that situation. That's why they don't go in schools when, you know, they're being shut up and things like that. Those are real reasons, in my opinion, why the police can't save people because that's not what's in their heart. Their heart is personal protection. I was like, that's crazy. I had entered, I had uh, interviewed um, one of my close, my close friends, Andrew Mott. And my homie Andrew said, he, he's like a white dude. He's about to get married. Congrats to him. Uh, he's in Vegas. Um, and, and he was telling me how he, like, the process to become a police officer is so short. Like, and he's saying how, like, literally, he went, <clears throat> he went into his senior year at, um, I forgot what university, what you, it's not, it's, 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 well, anyway, he had went to, like, a senior year of college, and a friend, of, a friend of his went into the police academy while he was in his senior year, and then he came out before he got out of his senior year. I'm like, how, how is that even possible? When I tell you that process is probably from like three to six months. That's and it. That's one it. of the reasons why I know that is because when I was younger, I told my dad, I want to become a police officer. But if anyone knows anything about me, I do not like physical activity. You do not like physical activity. I mean, I'll do it, you know, but I'm not a big fan of it. And so what does the <laughs> cops do is like, you know, they have to do physical activity prep. And I told my dad, I'd be a great investigator. You know, I'd be a great detective, but I don't want to go through, Low key. The, you know, the, the physical activity stuff. So I was like, <laughs> I would never become a police officer and then move on to becoming a detective because I would never pass the initial test. And my dad literally told me, he was like, you could pass it. He was like, you could pass it. Like, 
yeah, give yourself a little bit of like training and stuff and maybe do a couple of months to like work on your physical activity and like make sure you're at the appropriate levels that they need you to be at, but you could pass it. People always make jokes and I'm not fat phobic, but I'll be straight up. People always make jokes about um, fat or overweight cops. How did they become cops? <laughs> That's how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the same thing with like the military too. Like, like when the military just like save a lot. I mean, they they like save a, I mean save a lot of. Weight. They lose a lot of weight at the beginning, and then they get all fit, or whatever. But then, depending on what branch, depending on what you're doing in that branch, um, after a certain amount of time, they just kind of. They're not using that. Like, you're not using that. In my opinion, you're not using all of that stuff that they equipped you with in the way that you think you will be. Um, I mean, I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about defunding the police. And this is like my last question on, on like, something that has to do with your parent. Um, literally like the defund the police I don't know, movement or agenda or whatever it is. Um, I mean, I criticize it and critique it. I I think that the premise of it is good. I think that like, I think that like the name of it is horrible though, because it's not really just defunding it and that's it. I mean, I think that some police departments do need to just be dismantled because they have been doing a horrible job with the money that they have been given. But that's not what, that's not the, real agenda of, of defunding police. Like, it's really more so about reform. It's about reallocating monies to other places to be, have better results, which is what other places have, have been doing. <clears throat> and like other places have been getting better results. Like uh, Andrew Loku, Loku in Toronto, Pamela Turner in Texas, Pierre Colin in Montreal, Isaiah Louis, Louis in, in Oklahoma, Howard Hayde in Halifax, DeAndre Campbell in Brampton, like there are places in the U.S. and in Canada where um, they have changed the, like they have put more emphasis on like mental health services and, and other and other services and set like traffic services, mental health services, things like that, like tack- just vi- violent crime, tackling like gender-based violence compared to just allocating monies to police departments. So my question to you is, um, when it comes to like defunding the police, like how do you how do you see it? Because I may I may I may I may have like a bad understanding of it. Um, I'm not only completely on board with it. I think that it makes complete and total sense in this situation. Mm-hmm. And the again, reading, getting educated is really important right now. Um, so how do I explain this? There's, there's three levels of this that I've learned. There's reform, there's defund, and there's abolish. Mm -hmm. Who cares about what happened to George Floyd and anyone that doesn't ever want to see that happen to another person should be at defund the police or abolish the police. And I know that sounds like a strong statement to people who are on the reform side. And by, again, educating myself and learning about police reforms, these are things that we have been doing to reform for 400 years now. (laughs) 
<laughs> our, our generation needs to be the part that stops that, really. I mean, we're basically screaming, like, reform, reform. We're, imagine that. If we're thinking realistically, you're basically screaming at slave patrollers and saying, please kill less of us. Like, don't kill all of us. Just kill some of us. That is what you're saying when you say reform the police. We have been reforming and reforming and creating laws to protect us, doing things to protect us. They don't protect us. They just give them more creative ways to kill us. That is point blank period. That is it. When you continue saying reform, you're saying give them more power, give them more money, give them more resources to protect us. They're not protecting us. Why do you want to allocate more money and resources towards teaching them more creative ways to kill black people? That is all you're doing when you talk about reform. That's why it's dangerous. You know, I, ha I had just sent an email to my county executive um, on, on reallocating egregious police budgets. And basically, Maryland has, and, and this was shocking to me, Maryland has one of the highest number of black men incarcerated per capita. And Prince George's County Police plays a major statistic in that. I mean, oh, and that's and that's just, uh, yeah. Oh, and that's I can't I can't speak, y'all. I'm not even the interviewer like that. You know what I'm saying? This is new to me, y'all. Okay. Now, because somebody in the coming gonna be like, well, he can't even talk. Well, you watching. <laughs> so <laughs> so um I I wrote that in, in the in the light of events in recent weeks, including the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and Breonna Taylor in Louisville. It feels especially inappropriate that that the that in the amend, amended fiscal year 21 budget recently passed by the county council over 348 million was allocated for the police budget, but less than 41 million was allocated for the entirety of health and human services. During the pandemic. <laughs> During the pan, th this is fiscal year 21, you know what I'm saying? Well, well it's, it's like it's like amended fiscal year 21, you know what I'm saying? So but imagine that in 2021, we're still going to be dealing with the health repercussions. Right, right, right. But, 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 but I'm saying, I'm saying they're, they're making that decision for 2021. You see what I'm saying? With, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, we need, I mean, I, I think that we do need education reform for sure, because I think that I think that every everybody's mindset is really formed in the home while they're younger during the formative years. You know what I'm saying? Uh, shout out to Eric Erickson and like the stages of human development. So I do understand that, but I also understand that we need comprehensive community-based mental health services. We need sub substance abuse. Yeah, we do. We need prison. We need prison prisoner reentry. We need rehabilitation for, for these people. We need employment programs for these people. We need affordable housing services. We need much more, you know what I'm saying? And there's, there's like a lot of more things that we need to be reallocating this money to. But I'm surprised that like you're saying what you're saying uh, as, a, as a person who is a, a, a daughter of a, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like black, black, and black, y'all. And, and like your parent is black, black, and black, y'all. And like, I'm like, Surprised like you would say something like that, but I mean, there's honestly, more reason behind it though. You know, like, right. I don't 
And I know people are on the police reform. If you hear your legislator talking about police reform, you should be concerned. That is why I don't mean to get into politics on this, but just make sure we're all paying close attention to like the words that we're saying and the words that they're saying. Notice how a lot of us are screaming defund the police and our legislators are screaming back, reform the police. There is a reason you know just be mindful of what your legislators and the people that you're voting for are saying and if you don't like it make sure that they know that you don't like it that's what people in dc are doing they're making sure they know we didn't say reform the police we said defund the defund. police <laughs> i love you it i love that it like, that like defund the police sounds like you know defund itself sounds like a negative statement uh -huh. that's the same reason that again your feelings on politics really don't matter. I'm just using an example. Um, defund Planned Parenthood. It's not meant to sound like flowers and sunshine. You know, it's meant to sound like we don't like them. We want to you to stop giving our money to them, taxpayer money. Right. And like, and like, not just. Go ahead. I was gonna say like yes. People don't understand that taxpayer. You are paying out of yeah. your taxes for these things i, I mean if, so it's illegal to not pay taxes right shout out to wesley snipes so my thing is yo you have to pay taxes already so my thing is look if you're going to pay taxes to something wouldn't you care where your taxes are going to go you know what i'm saying it's not like you're jeff bezos and you, and you, and you can just write it off well, there's a reason why people don't care um, it's because they don't know. It's because this stuff is talked about enough and our parents and generations, and I've said this to a lot of people before, but they had so much faith in the system that they weren't willing to ask any questions. They weren't willing to ask any questions. That's blind faith. That's not real faith. That's blind faith. But that's what they did because that's what, that's what they were able to hold on to. I'm not going to, mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know, talk down on them for that, but that's what they needed right. to do to with their day. Our generation is asking questions. We're saying, where is this going? Where are our funds going? And the government doesn't know what to do. They're just like, oh, we, we really hope that like they don't get older because we're asking scary questions. Our parents had faith and we don't. We're like, no, we don't trust you. We don't have to trust you just because you're in power. We want to know where our money is going. And now that we know and see that it's going to literally murder some of us, we're like, um... That's, that doesn't make any sense. And I'll put this very bluntly. Think about it in this perspective. The uniform, and I won't say his name, the uniform that the police officer was wearing when he murdered George Floyd was likely paid by George Floyd's own tax dollars. We are allowing these people to murder us with our own money. That is That doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to pretend that it makes sense or that it's okay. That's why defund the police is so important. Because when you give them more money, you give them more resources to literally kill our community. And I'm not going to do like, I'm not going to be standing next to that. I can't. That's why I'm not with reform the police. There you go. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, you you hit the nail right on the buzzer. Um, I do do not. I do do not. I'm, I'm having like a tough day today. <laughs> and the last few interviews been good. And this one, I'm just like stumbling. Messing you up, my bad. <laughs> Know what I mean? All right. So my thing is, look, let's go back to like your actual protesting experience. But thank you so much for talking about defunding the police, explaining it, 
uh, uh, sharing why it's important. And, and I mean, I think that it's so, it's so important for people to understand it from your perspective because of your experience, because of the experience of your parents and what, and you know, things like that. And again, these experiences with my parents weren't bad experiences. They were mostly eye-opening experiences. I can't say that my interaction with my dad's friends was a bad interaction or right. a bad those are things that I noted those are things that I took note of that I internalized and it literally like I said was like police propaganda 24 7 you know these police officers <laughs> you know when you work at a job I've never worked at a job like this but I know people who do work at a job you become really good friends with your coworkers. you know you'll have your coworkers backs these police officers are like that but time is 10 they see themselves as like a brotherhood, a camaraderie, you mm -hmm. know. It's kind of like a... Protect this group. It's kind of like sororities and fraternities, you know what I'm saying? Especially yeah. not, especially like AKAs, Deltas, Kappas. You can't, you can't ignore that. When you're saying there are some people that we can reform, what you're basically saying is that like, this isn't systemic, you know? You're saying this isn't the system that's the problem. And it's like, no, these guys that are all friends, that all hang out with each other on the weekends, their kids know each other, they shove down everyone's throats that like police are great people and they're protecting the community. They mean that with every bone in their body and there is no possible way that you could come into these police people's lives and tell them otherwise. There's just no possible way. I am someone who is witness to that. I mean, I've had conversations with my dad. You cannot go into these people's lives. You cannot explain what's going on to them you need to like remove them from positions of power over people. It's, it's just dangerous. It really is. Like one of the most dangerous people, uh, some of the most dangerous people in America are people who don't, who cannot listen. I don't, like I had to, listening is something that you have to work on. Like I thought that I was listening because I could hear people or that my ears work like no listen like actively listening is something yeah. that's very very important you know what i'm saying um and so yeah like it's a sad day in america where you have people that are in the um police um professions that aren't paying attention to what's going on today, especially the, those who aren't listening to those who are. And then what's crazy is, I don't understand how police officers who are black can't understand their own oppression. That's, that's, really, like the, that's really like the most mind boggling thing to me. And like, it's not mind-boggling. It really isn't. It's well, like, to, like to, to, so, like, so, like to me. It's not mind-boggling though, because you have to remember that, like, this is for personal gain, for not not personal gain literally, but oh, selfish. of the pie. Not just that they're selfish; that some of them are selfish, but some of them are literally blinded by this. Remember that this is a generation. Mm. Our family had faith in the system right? These same family members that we have that are police officers, right? They've ingrained the faith in the system into their kids, like me and a lot of other people. Like, 
you know, our parents were raised to respect cops. There is a reason for that. You know what I mean? There's a reason why they ingrained that in their heads. And then we've got that ingrained in our heads because it makes sure that you're not willing to take the time to question something. And when the Black Lives Matter- That's white supremacy. <laughs> like that's yeah. what, like 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 white supremacy is like for for well, like, that's written in the Willie in like the Willie the Willie, the Willie Lynch letter and the Willie Lynch letter he talked about you know the slaves should like so like the slave owners should take the body and let them keep no they should take the mind and let them keep 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 their body and basically it meant yeah. that literally like. All a slaveholder wants to do is to control your mind. You can do whatever you want, like your body. You can have as many kids as you want. You can work out. You can eat whatever, yada yada. But like when you, but like when you take the mind of that individual, you can just make them do whatever you want them to do. You know what I'm saying? And like that was like the whole purpose. That was one of the most. I think like I've been saying this a lot recently that I like I, one of my favorite. Uh, He's, he's like a black psychologist. His name is Dr. Naeem Akbar. He wrote this book called Know Thyself. And basically, he he said, he, he, he kind of said the premise to what I'm about to say. I, I think that the biggest war right now is the war on the black woman, the black man's mind. Like the mental warfare that is that is on us, especially when it comes to the media and like putting our deaths. Trying to undo so many things at the same time. We're trying to undo. Brainwashing is a really, really strong word, but more so like a manipulation that has been going on for years so that Black people don't do exactly what we're doing right now. I I think that like people, I think think that like also, this is like my last point before before we get to like your actual protesting experience. But I think that people don't understand that how I was how I was taught about, about racism as a sociology major at Berkeley University. I, I was taught that racism has four different dimensions: that it has structural, internalized, institutional, and interpersonal. And racism is not just something that is just blatant, and it's not something that's just Never. in like the structure mm-hmm. of society. But it's also how I mean, it's also microaggressions. It's also racial. Uh, it's also um, post-traumatic slave syndrome is also in like our laws. It's really, it's, it's really into the over and, 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 uh, and what's it called? Late, like latent messages that people put, that people put across through media, through like their, their, their uh, daily, um, conversations, even, even how people even explain certain, certain things that happen to black, to black people. Like people will say, oh well, you know, when I was younger, we we were in segregated schools, but we had better education. It's like like things like that. How you like explain a certain thing? That's why like it really yeah. like when you when you like I the reason why I think that education is the number one importance in in, in society is because. With education, you can teach the same story or the same part of history in so many different ways. And a lot of times in like American history, people, American textbooks, particularly American textbooks that, that are written by English and white males that have been published for, for, for generations that published through, through McGraw-Hill, 
they all over and over again perpetuate an ideology of white supremacy through our history. So yeah. like, they'll say they'll say things, if, they, oh, if they have to take if they have to take what was done to black people seriously, then that means that we deserve some form of retribution for it, and they don't want that to happen. I mean, they, so like, what do you think about? You know? So like, what do you think about reparations? I want, and I'll say it like this, and then I'll give my opinion. I want to learn more about reparations and what people are asking for in terms of reparations, because I don't think giving Black people a check is going to solve the problem, because... I agree. People want, of course, people are on board with getting personal checks because people want money. And I'm like, okay, but... There's so much more that needs to be done in the system versus in your personal life that is going to help this as a generational thing. Because that small check that you get is going to help you and maybe your kids for a little bit. But when your kids get older and the system is still the same, who does that help? We're trying to fix this in a generational manner, not because of something that happened in your personal life. So I think, in my opinion, reparations should not only be an ongoing investment in black communities, but it should be a commitment for this to go on for really forever, but you know, for a decent amount of time for us to actually see a generational fix. My start would be a hundred years investing in, for instance, communities like PG County. Why are their schools overcrowded, but we're the richest county? Why is that happening? Why are things like that happening? What can we do to fix them? How can we invest in this community to make it better? Who can build a school? Who can build more libraries? Who can give kids laptops that are in the same home during the pandemic? There's five of them and there's one computer. Who is going to help things like that? That's what I would like to see changed. I don't think that people should be on board with getting personal checks because that's really an embarrassing thing to ask for. It's really like you saying, I want this for myself and I don't care what happens 100 years from now. We have to care about the future in order for this to actually make sense, in order for us to actually, you know, get what we're asking for, because if we're asking for reparations, there's a word in reparations, repair. You know, we're trying to repair. You getting a personal check is repairing you, it's not repairing the system. You wanna repair the system, money has to be invested in the parts of the system that need it the most. And like you said, that starts with education. I've seen the education system. I can only speak for a couple of places, but PG County in specifics, that is not okay. <laughs> like, it's just not. I purposefully didn't want to go to any public schools in PG County because for a while, I had heard of, I had gone to private school for a little bit. I had heard about how awful it was, about how awful the students thought it was, about how terrible their lunches were, how the teachers couldn't afford to do anything. And I had been hearing this as a child. As a child, I knew that the schools in PG County were lackluster because they didn't get enough funding. And my question is, why? Why aren't we mm -hmm. fixing Because that's a black county with majority black people living there. And that means that there's black children there that aren't getting educated. And I wonder why that happens. So badly, but that's just my example. I'm sure there's plenty of other examples. Like mm -hmm. we could give an example of um, Black Wall Street. What was done mm -hmm. as a reparation for that entire situation? Mm -hmm. What was nothing? I would really like to question why people think getting a personal check in their bank account is going to really repair the system. That's mm -hmm. where I. 
But again, that's my opinion from not knowing much. I would be 100% willing to learn more about reparations. What people well, I have, well, so, uh, so there, are, so there's this article that's written by the Brookings Institution, written by Dr. Rashawn Ray and Dr. Andre Perry. Dr. Rashawn Ray, um, he is a uh, professor of sociology in the governance and political studies department at University of Maryland College Park, and then also Dr. Andre Perry just wrote this book called Know Your Price. Um, he is a fellow with the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution, uh, Institution. And the Brookings Institution is basically like a, like a, like a well-renowned think tank. They're basically up there with like the Pew Research Center and Aspen Institute, like all those like centers where like they get all the stats on like, like they really like interpret the Bureau, the Bureau of Labor Statistics so that mm. So that like the like the, the the lay people like us can really they can make it legible. Hmm? I said they can make it legible, understandable. Yeah, feel me? So like there's like there's like five there's like five reasons there's like five points that I know that that they're that they're talking about when it comes to reparations and it's it's, it's also uh par parallel with you know um what's his name. Tanisha Coates, you know, Tanisha Coates just went up, up, up before Congress and testified for the whole. I think it's called the 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 Harriet Tubman Act or some or, some, or something like that, and it's like a act for, for for reparations. So the first one is ironically it's individual payments for descendants of enslaved Black Americans, but the reason why they're advocating for that is because of the lost wages and the racial wealth gap. And, okay. and, and you know, the U.S. government owes lost wages as well as damages to the people who helped build the country. Now, my question for you, even off of just that point, would be, what do you think about people making over a certain income that are Black getting things like that, who benefit from white supremacy and the system? You see, I think that, yeah, because all skippo gay kempo. However, like people who have, I mean, there's people who's, who benefit from white supremacy right now, like people like Kanye West, who like still have descendants who suffered through slavery. Okay, I see what you're saying. So like, so like, I still want, even though Kanye West is like, you know, he he had just got to deal with, with a gap and all that. So it's about principle. Huh? In this situation, it's about principle. Like, for right? for like this first point, I'm on number right. one. But like for like like th like this first point, it's about principle. It's about the principle of you being a direct descendant of an enslaved black America. Now, I'm not sure any of any details beyond that, because I'm kind of going off of what I remember, kind of. And I took like a, like, a, like a few notes on what I wanted to say, but I know that like the median, the median wealth, the, like the, the median family wealth for white America is like $171,000, okay? The median, the median family wealth for black people in America is literally $17,000. I think I've seen that same graphic as well, by the you way. See what I'm saying? 
Yeah. So like, it's like, it's like my thing is just, just off of that alone. I'm like, I'm like, yo, like black, black people need more individual payments. And, and oh yeah. Also when Asian Americans that were put into internment camps and had built those railroads for free, that yeah. got reparations. When the Holocaust happened and Jews came to America, that got, that got reparations. And I don't want to like disrespect, um, you know, our uh, people who are native to like this land, like the Native Americans. Um, you know, I, I don't like disrespect them, but so, like some of those tribes have gotten reparations. And like, I, I, I don't want to say that like they shouldn't have got them or anything like that because they need more too. And honestly, we, we, we need to stop polluting their, their environments. But now all that to say that everybody else has gotten reparations. Matter of fact, Jews still get reparations right now with our tax dollars right now from what happened during the, during the Holocaust. So like Jews still get paid from like the US government right now based off of that. So my thing is, if everybody else got some type of reparations and America hasn't even said, like America ha still has- I haven't even fully taken acknowledgement. And well, they have acknowledged it, but like they also haven't done anything. They have not acknowledged it. You can't even say that they've acknowledged it because if they acknowledge it, they have to acknowledge the worst parts of it. And they right. haven't done it. Right, exactly. Like they haven't, they haven't even done that. So like, so like, that's why we're like, no, we have to say, not only do you guys have to acknowledge it, but you guys also have to do the individual, the individual payments. But like, the second thing is they, uh, so Dr. Perry and Dr. Um, Ray talked about college tuition. They, they're advocating for college tuition for two year and four year colleges for descendants of enslaved black Americans um, that tuition should be like, hey, you know what I'm saying? How are they going to determine who's a descendant? I'm sorry? How are they going to determine who's a descendant? Well, um, I can look that That's up. That's going to be difficult. Is it difficult? I think it definitely would be difficult. Uh, uh, it says it says a black person who can trace their heritage to people enslaved in U.S. states and territories should be eligible for financial compensation for slavery. Um, it says do, to determine qualification, birth records can initially be used to determine if a person was classified as Black American. Um, economist Sandy Sandy Darty asserts that people should show a constant pattern of identification. Since it's since what about a historian, do they have a historian there? <laughs> because there's an issue here. Well, I, like, I, I, like, I do know that, like, there's like an issue with, with like the census, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, like, a lot of these, a lot of enslaved Africans were put in, you know, like, their census was kind of like, you know, like they would, they would say everything that's like, that's like in the house, you know what I'm saying? And like, they'll say, okay, and then, and then. And then we have this many enslaved people, you know what I'm saying? But how can you no, I'm not, like use that? I'm just like, and I'll have to obviously research it after this because we definitely got no topic. But like, I'm, I am legitimately curious because yeah, there aren't records for all of that. There just isn't, it's not possible. Some people were just, you know, what about people who didn't even 
make it to America yet. You know, they were still considered slaves. They were still sold. I don't know. Like, I know maybe they have, maybe they have kids. I don't know. Like, how are, I'm just personally curious how the records on that would work. Because for instance, like my family, we know literally nothing about like Mm -hmm. anything past like my great grandparents. Like we really don't know. We legitimately just don't know on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I've asked. It's just like an unfortunate thing, but we just we don't. Even we've tried to like put. I our mean, family- you can also use D- DNA testing too. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good point. You can use DNA testing. I mean, that'd just be really interesting to see how that does. Well, like the article that I'm using, and I can send it to you after this, but it's called. Yeah why we need reparations for black americans and it's written by dr rashawn ray and andre and perry i'm just gonna say like the rest of the points and then we're just gonna move on to the next topic yeah sorry <laughs> no i know it's fine this is this is a conversation so uh the first one was individual payments for for the sins of, of enslaved black americans we're not talking about like the whole black diaspora we're talking about black americans and then the second one is college tuition for uh, college tuition to two to two year or four year colleges and universities for descendants of enslaved Black Americans, and then the third one is student loan forgiveness for descendants of enslaved Black Americans, and then the fourth one is down payment grants and housing revitalization grants for descendants of enslaved Black Americans, and the fifth one is business grants for business starting businesses starting up. Um, business expansion to hire more employees or purchasing property for descendants of enslaved Black Americans. So uh, I have to read more and educate myself more because oh yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, I had just wanted to say that there has been in-depth, uh, like conversations about it, and I just want to like bring up like a few points that Dr. Perry and Dr. Ray had had, had spoke upon. Like in like. I have questions about, about these things too. I'm still learning about it. I just want to bring up the idea. I think that like right now, we have so many people that have been taking the idea of reparations, not just the check part, not just the first one, but just reparations in, in like everything, in like education, mental health, businesses, everything, and in like home and home ownership especially. Um, like we have been taking like the idea of that very seriously um, um, during these times. And I think that like it's important when, when we're talking about protesting because we're not we're not protesting just the police or really protesting like the like systematic oppression that 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 is instituted through the police you know what i'm saying but it's, it's like it's also it's also reinforced through other means as well um and so right. and so yeah so i just want to talk about that but no don't don't apologize <laughs> have a conversation i don't know a lot about it either um, yeah so I want to ask you this question. So how did I ask you how did you prepare for protesting? Mm, no. Okay, so yeah, so like uh when you decided to oh yeah, cause yeah, yeah. So like you had decided to go out and you, not to protest, but to hand out protest packs. By the way, what 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 were in the protest packs? Okay, there's a couple of things, and we added some more. Um, we handed out water separately, of course, but there okay. were like snacks. Um, we also had fruit, so we had snacks and fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, there were band aids, 
there was gauze and gauze tape. Um, there were other things. There were other things I can't even remember. We did hand out some goggles too. We didn't have enough to like hand them to everyone, but we were able to get out some goggles. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head everything. Uh, that was mostly it. Also, we had alcohol like towelettes so that people could clean their hands and stuff like that. So, I mean, the goal was like food and like some basic um, medical things, very basic. Did y'all have it in like, so I've seen some people have like a tent. Did, did y'all have like a tent? Yeah, like my, my friend Nadia, her boyfriend's friends helped us get tents up and things like that. Like there was a tent and a table. I can't, again, I can't take any like, uh, credit for any of that. I didn't do any of that. That big bulk of like that part getting things set up was definitely all um, all them, <laughs> which they did a good job on. But like, yeah, we had a table and a tent and we had everything in um, Ziploc bags and boxes. <clears throat> so how, so did you just kind of get up that day and you're like, you know what, I'm going to do it. It's cool. Like, I didn't even, or like, how did you prepare like mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or did you not prepare? Um, I don't believe in signs, but I'm a Capricorn. And I mean, if I were to believe in signs, I would say that Capricorns are very heavy on organization. So definitely had to like, clean up my mind I think I think some people like my boyfriend came and I think he was just kind of like that was his second one he was just kind of like okay like I'm just gonna go like this isn't a big deal for me but for me again like I have really big claustrophobia I do not like being in crowds with a lot of people or condensed spaces so I had to basically like remind myself for a couple of days coming up to it that like this was going to be an environment that I was going to be in. There's going to be people. People might touch you. Like that's just like that's just how it's going to be when you're there. Like I just had to tell myself that. And the day of, I will say I was really really nervous. Uh, I just like just the idea. Not even just nervous because of claustrophobia, but I had seen a lot of what was going on in the news. And I also had to mentally prepare myself that, like, I might need to run away or there might be a situation that I'm in where, like, I am, like, in a confrontation with police officers. Like, I didn't know how it was going to be when I got out there. I had to really, like, mentally tell myself there are a lot of different scenarios and there's a lot of different things that could happen. Everything could go perfectly well and things could go really bad. Like, I had a few emergency contacts. Um, I had, um, even one of my, one of my friends, friends who did not know me, um, texted me her dad's like, uh, lawyer information and said, Hey, if you need a lawyer for any reason, like, here's my dad's information. I didn't know how prepared I needed to be, but because of what I had seen and I had heard from other people, I was more, even more nervous than I guess I would usually be if I knew I was going to be coming in contact with like a large group of people. So it was a lot, but that was like, it was just mostly like talking to myself, kind of reminding myself like everything's going to be fine, but like it might not be. So I just had to have faith, I guess, that things would just move the way that they were supposed to. I mean, that was definitely 
really difficult, I would say. But I had, I knew I was going to meet other people there, so I wasn't really going to be by myself. And that definitely helped me, like, not be as nervous. I don't think I could have gone by myself. I really don't. How was the ride there? We took an Uber, me and my boyfriend. I was nervous the whole ride there. Um, <laughs> uh, he was fine. I was just kind of thinking, and, it, you know, I live in D.C. for right now. So, like, the whole ride there, like, you passed by, not the whole ride, but when you started getting, when we started getting closer, we went basically straight up to where the White House was. They had the fences there. When we had um, gotten closer to there, you just saw a lot of people walking around, holding signs. You could kind of tell who was there for protesting and who was just out having a casual day in D.C. And that just made me more nervous because I was just like, wow, like some people are really just pretending that nothing's happening right now. Like their business is boarded up and people were just casually walking outside, going for their afternoon run. And I was very confused and conflicted. I was just like, what is, what kind of world am I about to go into like when I get there? So, yeah, and then, of course, I knew we were going to have to do a lot of walking, so I was like, well, I could, you know, the only running shoes I have, <laughs> so I was, like, prepared, you know, uh, but physically, I didn't do anything. I didn't really know what to put in my bag. I just brought a little bag with me, and I think I put, like, some, like, medical supplies, like, band-aids, and I think I had gauze in there and tissue and stuff, and, of course, sanitizer. We were sanitizing a lot, but, yeah, sanitizer, I didn't really... I didn't know what the right thing to do was because, I mean, we've never done something like we're doing right now. When I say we, I mean, like, our generation. I mean, I didn't even talk to my mom about it. I was just like, I guess I'm just going to go there and just, I was mentally preparing, but also there's not really much that you can do. Really isn't. Like, either something's going to happen or nothing's going to happen. So, yeah. I mean, I know that was a really long explanation, but it, it was just a lot going through my head from not only seeing what I've seen in the media, taking in what my friends have told me, taking in what my boyfriend told me from when he went. It was just like, I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> and so kind of kind of like uh, share with us your, <clears throat> sorry, kind of share with us your experience with um, actually hand, hand, handing the packs out. Like, how was that experience? Um, I think in my head, I was like, everyone's just going to come up and grab them. And you could tell when we got there, the people were really like hesitant about that. And we weren't the only ones handing stuff out. What I was surprised to see there was a lot of people selling stuff. And that really broke my spirit and my boyfriend's spirit when we saw that because I was just like, and mind you, these are, these, well, some of them were black people. Selling and what? Selling shirts that said, I can't breathe, selling Black Lives Matter shirts, selling masks, and not at a fair price at all. It felt like that part of it, seeing people do that, there was even an ice cream truck. Seeing that was just like, this is kind of disgusting. Like, I know some people will probably, that probably wouldn't bother them or they'd be okay with it, but kind of like condensing our movement into like this like capitalist selling moment felt mm. the same way that I think LGBTQ people feel when like 
businesses are like, hey, like you can't, guys, you know, it's June, it's Pride Month. That's what it felt like. It felt like, hey, like this is a movement, but like I can also capitalize off of it. And it was just like, why are you here? Like I know that people want the shirts and people want them. I know that even I want a shirt, you know, but it just felt like the wrong space to be doing that in. It felt very like greedy. And I was really happy to see that a lot of people weren't buying things because they were kind of outrageously priced too. I mean, I saw the guy selling an I can't breathe mask for I think like $15. And I was just like, and it wasn't like a nice mask. It was like a little like cloth mask. You know, you could probably find that on like Amazon for a couple of bucks. Like it just really irritated me because, well, I just said why it irritated me. I mean, I was annoyed by it as we were walking to where we were going to go. We did pass the White House, so there were a lot of people there. And surprisingly, I think I was kind of calm, mostly because I knew I was going to be there, so, like, I wasn't as tense. Um, but my boyfriend was there, too, so I wasn't alone. Like, And his friend was there, so we all met up. It wasn't that bad. Um, so that's mostly, like, before we started selling the packs is when I saw people selling a bunch of stuff, and me and him were just looking like, I can't believe people are really doing this, right? Like, right here. I mean, like, like very, very close to the White House where everyone's at. I was just very annoyed by that. But anyway, when we got to where we were, we weren't the only ones handing out free post protest packs, which, again, is kind of a weird thing to be happening in the midst of people also selling things. So I'm sure people didn't know what we were doing at our table because there were so many people selling things that they were probably like, oh, they're selling those, you know, like they're selling these things that are supposed to be helping protesters. And we were like, no, it's free. So my friend had signs and stuff. Um, like, like, so like how, how many people do you think were like selling things? Like, did you, did you see like at least five people, 10 people? Maybe like five to 10, but that was just- What day was this on? This was June, June, um, I think it was June 6th. Why am I looking at my calendar? Pretty sure it was June 6th. So that was- June 6th, 2020, okay. That was, if we're looking at when the George Floyd protest started picking up a lot of traction, that was probably the week after it. So there was still a lot going on. Um, but yeah, I just, it, was, it just seemed very quick to just be, to just be so ready to capitalize off of an offer, an offer, it's not an opportunity, but an opportunity like this. It just seemed very fast and very, very non-concerned with like, what's going on. Was there anything else that like happened that you were actually surprised that, or something that like you wish you could just televise on TV? Like, hey, like this is actually going on too. Um. One thing that I did see there was a significant amount of like black joy, hashtag black joy. You know, there were there were people holding signs and things like that, but people were also like with their friends, like no one's no one's taking this and they're minimizing the movement, but you're also there with your friends and so everyone's kind of trying to do the best they can to like keep this together. So it was really like I thought it was pretty nice to just see people were actually like 
some of them were actually like in okay moods considering what we had to like what we have to witness why we're like standing in front of the white house right now you have to walk almost like two miles to get there because all the roads are blocked off like for all of that to be going on for us to have to have to hold signs and say black lives matter please don't kill us to see people actually like smiling in the midst of that for me was like wow because I personally thought like we're not allowed to like be happy at these protests but like I think and that's even something that I have to like unwind in my brain like like how do I explain this we're surrounded around a bunch of other black people that feel the same way that we do it's more of like um a togetherness thing than like a I'm happy right now thing if that makes sense people weren't like oh my god like this is so much fun people were more so like yay like I'm here with my friends and we're talking about something that's really important to us and like something that damages and discredits our race like you know that's why they were happy to be there not like happy like they're having fun so that felt really good. I also, I wish, I really wish things like that were talked about more, you know, and recorded more because that was really like, that was a very enlightening moment for me because I don't think I've ever in my life been around that many black people, but I think white people can definitely say that. They can definitely say they've been around that many white people. I mean, it's probably like that when they go to a parade or something. But like for me, I was like, wow, I have never seen so many black people in the same place before in my life. I like I was like I want to know everybody here like they were all they all seemed very cool my boyfriend took a bunch of pictures um it was just really nice to just see that and then even we ended up coming up on I don't even know what it is I don't know what the band is but it was go-go music they were just playing it very loudly okay I mean I didn't hate it. I was just uncomfortable because that's where the most amount of people, not most amount of people, that's where a lot of people were like centered in and they were dancing and stuff like that, which is fine. But like, that's the environment that I was like, I need to go because there's too much going on for here. Too much sensory overload for me. Like there was just too many things happening at once. And I could feel like my anxiety and claustrophobia, like telling me to go. So that's when I was like, this is great. Right. But like, but like it did, it seemed like they were having fun. It was like, I mean, not having fun, but they were, uh, joy. joy. Right. Like they were like, uh, appreciative of like the opportunity to be there. People were definitely really like excited, especially like go-go music. If, I mean, like if you're from the DMV, which I know you were here, so that counts. Like, if you're from the D.C. area. I ain't from here. I'm from Vegas. I know, but I'm saying you were here at some point. So I was here. Yo, Goko isn't, isn't, isn't that bad, you know? I, I mean, like, that's not my music, but, like, I know that that's the music of people in this area. Right. So, like, it wasn't just, like, Black people. It's it was cool. like, Black people and music. Like, we're functioning together. And, like, I mean, again, I didn't want to be there, but I was happy for them. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this conversation with Bria Howard. Please like, subscribe, and share. But as always, reach out to Bria Howard via the links in the description. One quote that I would like to read is from Janet Mock. 
in her book, Redefining Realness. She said, I believe that telling our stories first to ourselves and then to one another and the world is a revolutionary act. It is an act that can be met with hostility, exclusion, and violence. It can also lead to love, understanding, transcendence, and community. Unquote. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to stay up to date. Happiness, health, love, and peace.